Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome into another edition of the JMU Sports News Podcast. We've got a big softball super regional preview for you today. I am Bennett Conlin. There's no Jack Fitzpatrick today, but we are bringing on Matt Wyrick as a special guest. Matt, how are you? I'm pretty good. Sad to not have Jack here on the show. Yeah, there's a certain element that just can't be replaced. Um, but uh, I do have to say that I was right uh, in our debate over who would start game <laughs> one of the regionals. So I wanted to rub that in his face. He's not here, but I'm just going to kick it off by saying that. Yeah, he also had them losing to Michigan in the regional. So he, we really, maybe that's yeah. why he's, he said he had some like <laughs> to drive around and he was busy today, but maybe, you know, maybe that was a lie to get out of this. Yeah, he was afraid. He had to bring up his takes. He also predicted <laughs> men's basketball to win the CAA and he came onto the podcast after that take. So he probably wasn't afraid of his takes. He's, <laughs> he's no stranger to hot takes. That is a hot take. Yeah, very hot <laughs> one. I will say it was, it was preseason. So I'll give him the benefit of the doubt there. He, okay. He had not seen the product. I guess. Before. Yeah. yeah. So, and I guess there were things to like, you know, yeah. had some young players roster without anything else. You can, you can convince yourself of a lot of things. <laughs> So the the big news today, which is overshadowing the baseball loss, and this came out after the baseball loss. Maybe this is a, a really solid PR strategy by JMU. <laughs> but they're um, they're going to have limited beer sales at football games next season. I think you can get two per transaction. I think like four beers per game. Um, I imagine the lines will be, <laughs> be very long. How do they keep track of that? They have. They're going to do a wristband. Oh, okay. Yes. So I guess it, it also depends on if you have, you know, maybe you have someone serving you who's a little leaning on the wristbands. You never know. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> we'll see how that goes. It definitely seems interesting. We were talking before we came on. You were saying that it's, it's a solid plan to get people to stay past halftime. I sort of. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind ahead. of been a problem for, for the, to yeah. the you know, fans, I guess. I mean, I was talking to a couple of freshmen uh, who just finished up their freshman year and they were telling me, yeah, like we came in here and. You know, we, we chose JMU with a little bit of reservation because it wasn't a, a power five football school. You know, we were looking at other other programs, but and these are not players, just just regular people. Yeah. Um, but they were like, you know, we, but we saw that there was enthusiasm around the team and we got excited and went to the first couple games and everybody left at halftime. It seemed like nobody was really talking about it around campus. It was just kind of like a, an event for for people to an excuse to get drunk in a lot of ways, um, which they were kind of disappointed about. But, you know, maybe this this uses what people really want to do get drunk you know promote their overall product and maybe people will stay a little bit later i don't know um you know it's definitely worth checking out i mean at this point what does jamie have to lose and they're gonna make money off of it right right yeah no it seems like a really good idea and just looking at the schedule next year the first two home games you've got saint francis and morgan state so i imagine the beer will be the storyline (laughs) <laughs> of those games. I mean, then, you would think that JMU would kill them and then it'd be pretty boring. I think in terms of the sales, I think I forget the exact locations, but I know they're, they're not selling on the like student side, but I imagine, so you, go all the way I imagine you could walk over though. Right. And then bring yeah. it back. I don't think yeah. it's blocked off. Right. I no, no, so. I don't think so. So I guess it, it might be a little more of a hike for the students, but halftime 
you know, go to the bathroom anyway. You might as well stay in the line. You're not going to miss anything against St. Francis. So <laughs> after the first quarter, you're probably not going to miss a whole <laughs> right. <laughs> might be gone anyway. Yeah. So <laughs> we'll see how it goes, but it definitely seems interesting and it's got to be a, a lot of fun. They've got some, you know, Richmond mid November, three thirty game end of the season. I mean, you get to have some beers, watch some good football. So it also probably helps on, on those games as well. Nothing like a, a cold beer on a windy, cold, snowy November day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <stands>. Bundle up. <laughs> yeah. Every time JMU plays Richmond, uh, I think it's been freezing. I think I, I think that just has to be part of the game. It yes, wasn't it, it wasn't uh was it for our freshman year? My freshman year, your sophomore year? Yeah. Was, it so. was cold, right? Yeah. yeah I remember yeah. my senior year or your senior year, my junior year. It was awful. It was so cold. That was the really freezing one. Yeah, they had the game day one that was like reasonably cold, and then they had the freezing cold one where they like wore black. I think. Yeah, yeah. And then last pictures. Last year they played really early, so it wasn't wasn't awful. I don't think, but yeah, late November is going to be. It'll be chilly. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. But no, it's definitely interesting to see them doing that. Um, I originally saw the release and kind of thought it was a joke. I was, I just imagined they would never do this because I know in the past when when we've spoken to people like within athletics or anything like that, they've always been like, yeah, it's not really something that's too, too on the radar. So for them to sort of drop the news without really any hints was interesting. But I do think this, yeah, this is definitely something that won't have any complaints. I know like the basketball court releases are things that you kind of get, you hear from both sides, but this one, I can't imagine there are too many people that are upset about drinking beer. So now maybe midseason, if the the crowd gets rowdy, we might be seeing right. some parents or, or alumni complaining. But right. I don't know. I mean, I think it's worth trying. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And the release also said that they're starting with beer, so they might eventually branch out into other alcohols. That'd be pretty wild if they if they did. And you could get some other stuff there. I'm not really sure how that would work in terms of like liquor laws or anything like that. But going to be interesting to watch it develop. No doubt. For sure. Awesome. Baseball finished their season today. We were talking about that earlier, sort of the the exciting news after it. Baseball made the CAA tournament this year and then proceeded to lose their first two games. They lost 2-1 to William Mary and then 9-7 to in Northeastern today. So they're out of the tournament, 31-26 and overall. They have a winning season, which is solid. I believe it's the first winning season in Marlon Eikenberry's four years. They got to 500 at one point, but I think it's the first winning season and the first season where they got to 30 wins. So that's a positive, but obviously the early CA tournament exit is a little disappointing. I know you covered them a bit this year. Do you have any thoughts just sort of on the whole season and, and sort of yeah, working up? I mean, like this season, I, I don't think JMU is necessarily expecting to contend. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, they had a lot, some young pitching come in, uh, Nick Stewart and Kevin Kelly still on the upswings of their college careers. Uh, you know, I, I, I think, Next year, if they don't reach 40 wins, that's where you start looking at Eikenberry and thinking, okay, are we, you know, what, what exactly do we have here? Because, you know, he got to bring in his own recruits, his own players. It's now his system. Uh, we need to start seeing some results. And I think, you know, this year was, they got in the tournament. You know what? You give Eikenberry credit for that. You know, an up and down conference schedule. They had a big losing streak followed by a huge winning streak. It was really bizarre. They just kind of kept streaking uh, throughout the year, but they ended up, uh, five games over 500, uh, obviously get that 30 wins, get into the tournament. That's fine. You know, this is, you know, JMU hasn't been on that landscape for a while. As long as they're in there, you know, that that's a positive, but 
you know, next year I think is going to be the big thing for me. I mean, overall, JMU is not losing any massively uh, important seniors uh, to graduation. I think uh, Dan Goggin and Matt Marsili, two relievers, are two seniors uh, who are graduating. But other than that, the whole lineup's coming back. Nick Zona's been out since since early April. You know, mm-hmm. he was an impact freshman for them. Would have been all rookie. Uh, had he played a full season, I don't. They might even add him to our all rookie squad. I'm not sure if that's been released yet, but um, you know, overall, I think it's it's a good step, but only if it's followed by an, an even bigger step, uh, and that's going to be you know a deep playoff run and a, a 41 season. Yeah, yeah, I kind of agree with you there. I think they need to make a bigger jump forward. They've sort of had like incremental progress, and I think they're getting mm-hmm. to the point where they want to make a larger leap. And then also this year, I believe Josh Jones was academically ineligible. I don't know if he actually officially said that, but I believe that was the word on the street. And he's a big time player. Is he still on the team? I thought he was, but I haven't heard much on that. He's still on the roster online, but I don't know if that means that he's still there or what, if he is someone that's there, that would certainly be big, but you're right. They've got so much young talent with or without Josh. They've got a ton of young talent coming back. They're sort of in a position where they need to start, playing closer to their level, be above 500 in conference and start winning some games. So I'm interested to see how they do next season. And also I think that's a sport that JMU just really wants to have better because Harrisonburg is sort of a proud baseball town and they, they still don't draw big crowds, which I think is just due to the lack of performance in the last like five to 10 years. Yeah, it was, it was interesting. Jamie played UVA earlier this year and Uh, I was I was covering that game on Kurt and, you know, I'd come into the game maybe 20 minutes before uh, typically when I'd arrive uh, and there was no parking. And I was like, what is going on? And apparently UV have this insane draw uh, and there were some UVA fans in the crowd, but I would still say it was mostly JMU. And, yeah. you know, I, I could see that it's like. It's. I, I think the fan base has kind of lost faith in JMU being competitive because, I mean, I, I've heard Kurt tell so many stories about teams back in the 90s, uh, you know, really good b- baseball teams. And they had a good fan base. And I think the, the draw of UVA was what brought all the fans out. But that kind of shows what the potential of the fan base could be uh, if, you know, JMU were to start playing competitively and actually, you know, get – uh, fans to come out to see them, not to see their competitors. You know, we could be seeing a big chunk of that uh, coming out consistently. Right. Yeah. That'd be really cool. We've seen sort of with softball, what they can do crowd wise. And obviously that's a smaller stadium and, and fewer seats, I think, but baseball could certainly sort of match that. And you could have two spots at veterans Memorial park where people are really excited to watch athletics. I think that would certainly be a big step forward for JMU as a whole. So that sort of transitioning, excuse me, over to softball. They won the regional. You had them winning the Ann Arbor regional. You seemed confident last week when they spoke. They did it in a really interesting way where they lost the first game to Michigan, but then beat DePaul for a second time and beat Michigan twice after a a Sunday rainout. They beat Michigan twice on Monday, both games on ESPN2. What is your overall reaction from the series? I know going in, you thought they were capable of winning, and they obviously did. Well, uh, I told you I thought home runs would play an important role uh, in this series, and 12 of the 13 runs scored by JMU were off of either doubles or home runs uh, in this series. So that's really was important for them, was, was getting that big contact. I mean, JMU didn't string a whole lot of hits together, and I think that's going to be something that needs to be done against UCLA, which has another amazing pitching staff, but um, you know, that's the, the offense 
while it didn't score runs in big bunches, it, you know, it did the job it needed to do. And Megan Good was able to do Megan Good things. I mean, she pitched in both games of that doubleheader, 14 shutout or one run innings uh, between the two games. I mean, that's absolutely incredible. Um, and what I referred to before, uh, you know, my prediction being right was over who would start game one. That was Odyssey uh, getting that start, Megan coming in relief, and she's able to go in there in that 12-inning game and pitch a really gutsy performance. I mean, you know, one run in 12 innings is, is not bad at all. You can't really fault her for that. Unfortunately, she gets the loss there. But, um, you know, Odyssey was great when she had the opportunity. But Megan, I mean, Megan just went to another level and – uh, you know, as long as she's playing the way she is, JMU is in good shape to keep on going. Yeah. No, I mean, just so cool to see her do what she did. An incredible individual performance. And you're right, sort of Odyssey's performances were overlooked a bit, pitching twice against DePaul and doing a really solid job in those outings. And then Peyton Burrish came in for two outs against DePaul, made it interesting, loaded the bases in the second game, but then ended up getting a strikeout so that they could face Michigan on Monday and, and get through. So, a lot of team contributions. You look at the Monday game, had great plays from Cambry, Arnold, Kate Gordon, Sarah Jubas have both been awesome. So Jamie's seemed like they're playing at a high level. <laughs> you are right about the home runs. It seemed like rallies weren't really the thing. It was just a matter of like, hey, if we can get homers and Megan can go out and give up, you know, one or fewer runs, we can win this thing, which is an interesting strategy. Do you think that can work? You alluded to it a little bit. Do you think that can work against UCLA? Uh, I don't know. I mean, you know, obviously UCLA, one of the better teams in the country. Um, and they've got a few home run hitters. Uh, Bubba Nichols, who you talked about, you texted me before the show, greatest name uh, in softball. It's amazing. Uh, that in itself should be a talking point. 739 slugging percentage this season. She has 16 homers. Uh, one of the better players in the game right now. Um, to go along with two other players and double-digit homers. So not a, not a ton of power from UCLA side uh, and necessarily to compete. Um, with Jamie, I think Jamie's got, you know, the more power potential there, uh, than, than UCLA does, but, um, you know, it's, it's tough because, you know, UCLA's pitching, like I said, three very good pitchers that they've gotten that, that rotation slash bullpen, whatever you want to call it, mm -hmm. uh, that the Bruins have, you know, although Michigan's were, were just as good, um, you know, it's, it's tough when you rely on the power and you've got a couple of pitchers who, do a really good job of, of limiting that power. You know, something's got to break here. And if you, if you are a team that's been relying on home runs all season and all of a sudden, you know, you're forced to play some small ball, that's going to be tough. I mean, you didn't see JMU string a whole lot of hits together. There weren't, you know, a whole lot of productive outs. I mean, I know, uh, you know, we had that one call, was it Sarah Jubis, uh, yeah. who was called out egregiously. Yeah. So, I mean, there, there are a couple of instances where maybe, you know, they could have, uh, had a bigger rally than they actually did. But, you know, Jamie's not going to draw a lot of walks. They're not going to hit a whole lot of, you know, productive ground ball outs. It's going to be a big power all over the outfield. And that that is certainly a recipe for success, but can also, you know, be an Achilles heel uh, if you've got a good pitching staff that can limit that. Now, that's what Michigan was supposed to be. Uh, so, you know, you, going into UCLA, it really won't be a whole lot different uh, in terms of that. Obviously, the pitchers themselves are different, but in terms of their overall results, um, you know, you kind of have to combat the same thing. So I think, you know, I'm weary of it, but it's certainly something that's worked for JMU all year, and I'm not going to question it uh, as long as it's working. Yeah, I sort of agree with you there. I think it's it's a tough strategy against such good pitching, and, and Rachel Garcia for UCLA is one of the best pitchers in the country. I believe her and Megan Good were both named, like, top three finalists for player of the year today. So it's going to be an incredible matchup, and I'm assuming it's probably going to be the two of them throwing the most of – 
most of the innings, whether it's 14 through two games or 21 through three, you would think both teams are going to lead on, lean on their ace in this super regional. I'm really excited to see how it goes down. Do you think that JMU, do you think there's any chance of an emotional hangover after the wins against Michigan? Or do you think there's enough time in between that it's, it's sort of old news? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I look at this team, you know, they came out of the, the CAA tournament, you know, sweeping everybody with all the, the five winning run rule games. Uh, and they seem to be down to business. Now I know, you know, there was more time. There was a week in between those games and there'll be only four days in between the super, the regional and the super regional. But, you know, the, the, this is a team that kind of is really good at putting its head down and just kind of getting to work. And I'm not really, I don't think that's going to be much of a factor. I know you thought uh, that the chip on the shoulder was important, given your piece that you wrote, which was excellent, by the way, Thank you. Uh, about the regionals and how, you know, that was uh, they got slighted for, for not being a power five team. You know, that's I, I think that was something on their minds now. But now we're in the tournament. And, you know, at, the, at this point, seedings are thrown out the window. It's It's just kind of. You know, JMU has proven it belongs in this super regional round. They beat a, a proven team in Michigan. So now everybody's on the same playing field. You might be the number two team in the country. Uh, but honestly, that's that's just motivation for JMU to, to take them down because, you know, it makes JMU look even better. Uh, so overall, you know, I don't I don't expect there to be much of a hangover. I think it's just going to be some pure uh, top collegiate softball. And I'm really excited to watch it. Yeah, it should be great. I, I'm really excited to watch it as well. I think it's going to be a heck of a series. And I figure, figure JMU at this point is going to be over it. They've, they went straight to LA. It looked like after the Ann Arbor regional. So I think they've gone straight to California where they've gotten some practice in. I know they've gone sightseeing a little bit from what they posted on social media. I think there's been a lot of things and experiences in between those wins against Michigan. They won't be too focused on that. And this, this team, one of the things that, that I've noticed from covering them for the last few years is they talk about Oklahoma City in the Women's College World Series constantly. They don't shy away from saying that that's the goal. They pretty much only talk about that. Like preseason, a lot of teams talk, and, and Jamie does a little bit about like pitch by pitch and that sort of thing, game by game. But they, or even just the conference, you know, right. just winning the conference. Right, exactly. Yeah, just winning conference titles. But they focus a lot on making it to the Women's College World Series. And you have to imagine that they're very locked in on this goal. Um, if they do make it, they might be a little different when they get there. They might sort of change their goals and try to win the whole thing. They also might just, you know, be pretty happy to be there. But I think there's, there's an element now, of, you know, we just have to win two games and we get to our ultimate goal, the first women's college, women's college world series in program history, which would be a tremendous accomplishment. Um, and I imagine, and I said this earlier, I imagine they're going to lean on good in the circle for most of the way. Do you think any other Duke throws a pitch in the super regional? Uh, I would say Megan starts every game. Mm -hmm. Uh, there's, there's really no doubt about that. I mean, given you know, that she showed she can start two games in one day, there's no, no reason to believe she couldn't, you know, go back to back to back. Um, but yeah, I, I could see Odyssey being brought in, uh, if, you know, they need a, a change in direction. Laporte talked a lot before the season, uh, about how she likes the fact that she has three pitchers she can use because they all pitch at different levels. Mm -hmm. You know, one has a, a better rise ball. One has, you know, more movement uh, on, on different types of uh, breaking type pitches. So, you know, it, it adjusts the eye level of pitchers, uh, of hitters, I mean, and she, she really likes that advantage. So, you know, what she could do is go to Odyssey and then go back to Megan 
if she wanted to, or, you know, bring in uh, Peyton for a, you know, one inning save or a two, two out situation where maybe she has pitchers or hitters who, who might be more power hungry, you know, type of uh, power hitters who Peyton is much better against uh, that might be a better uh, situation. So I think, Yes, we'll see some other pitcher. I just don't think it'll be a whole lot. I think we're going to see Megan go at least five innings in every single one of these games. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you there. I think they'll lean on her. If they do need to bring an Odyssey or, or potentially Peyton in relief, then they can certainly do that. And on the other side, Rachel Garcia, I mentioned her earlier. She's one of the best pitchers in the country. She's got a better ERA than good. I think she's 23-1. and one. I, think she, yep. I think she took her, her first loss of the season in the last month. But she's just unbelievable. She's been lights out pretty much all year long. Her loss was to Arizona. And I think UCLA was up 3-1. And Garcia ended up giving a few runs late in that game, sort of uncharacteristic. Do you think that, that Jane is going to be able to score enough against Garcia? And, and by enough, what do you think would be enough for them to win these games? Do you think they'll, they'll need to kind of get over three? I know they're able to beat Michigan scoring three and two runs. Do you think that'll work against UCLA? I think that's what it's going to have to be. I mean, mm-hmm. you look at you look at UCLA as a whole right now. Just just you go to the NCAA stats page. It's right here in front of you. Batting average number two in the country, three forty five. ERA number two in the country, one three nine. I mean, UCLA UCLA is good on both sides of the ball. Uh, so is JMU. You know, don't get me wrong. Obviously, UCLA has faced some stiffer competition throughout the year, so you know their numbers you know might be a little bit uh, less padded. I mean, JMU's right there, fourth in batting average and sixth in ERA. Mm-hmm. So. You know, this is an even matchup as it gets, but, you know, when, when it comes down to two of the best pitchers in the country, you know, taking the circle every game, we're not going to see a whole lot of runs. I mean, you know, maybe one of these pitchers gets, you know, the, uh, the other team gets to them early and they have to make a switch and we'll see what happens. But, you know, I don't expect, you know, any team to be scoring above five runs in this series. And I'd be surprised if we really even got to that number. Yeah, I agree with you. I think this is going to be one of those softball classic softball series where you want to bet the under if you're able to bet on college softball. <laughs> I just think that yeah, I wonder. There's just not going to be that many runs scored just because, like you said, both pitchers are so good and they're able to go deep into games. I mean, I just don't think UCLA or JMU is is going to change their game plan much. So I think they're going to focus a lot on just sticking with their ace for as much as possible over the two or three games in the series, which makes it really hard to score. I guess if you're an offense, the only positive is that once you get into like Saturday and Sunday, if necessary, you will have seen Good and Garcia a lot. So maybe you can pick up tendencies. But as we saw uh, uh, with Megan against Michigan, it's kind of hard to pick up tendencies and actually execute on that. Like you might be able to know what Megan Good is, is sort of going to do. But if she's executing at a high level and she's throwing good pitches, it's it's hard to hit. It's easier to to have good pitching beat good hitting, at least in my opinion, in college softball. Um, and UCLA. They started the season 45 and three sort of leaning on good Garcia and a a few other really talented pitchers and they're four and three in their last seven. Is there any area to be concerned if you're UCLA? Do you feel like JMU is, is reaching them at the right time knowing that they've, you know, basically been 500 in the last seven games? Uh, I mean, you know, they, they faced some tough competition there at the end of the year, Um, you know, going through the end of their conference schedule. Uh, having to go through Stanford, having to go through Arizona. So yes and no. Um, you know, I, I think we're in the playoffs now and, and every team has kind of flipped the switch uh, and, you know, is looking ahead and is in locked into this playoff mode 
where I don't think the regular season necessarily matters, especially now that they've gotten through regionals and they had uh, most teams had conference tournaments. It doesn't look like there was a conference tournament uh, for softball UCLA. Um, I guess they just give them the, the regular season title based on regular season results. I don't know. Um, but, you know, it's worth mentioning JMU is the only non-seeded team uh, to escape from the, the regional round. So I think there is one, if there is one factor, it's that UCLA might look past JMU and that would be a huge mistake, um, you know, for you know, a, a team that is so high uh, up on the top 25 right now. I mean, number two in the country for them to look at a team like JMU, which is the only team without a number next to its name. And, you know, looking ahead, you've, you've got teams like, Minnesota, LSU, Arizona, Ole Miss, Washington, all, all waiting for you, possibly uh, in the College World Series rounds. Uh, I think that would be a huge mistake. So that's that's really the biggest thing for me is, is what kind of attitude UCLA brings into it. I don't really know because I haven't you know followed the team all year. Right. But, uh, you know, JMU is, is as good as any of these other teams. So UCLA better treat it as, as such. Yeah, no, that's a really good point and one that I wanted to mention, too is I wonder if UCLA, when they were sort of following that series, because they ended up winning, I think, on Sunday night, so they had a chance, I'm assuming, to just watch the Monday games. I wonder how they've lost to Michigan earlier this season. I wonder if they felt almost lucky or good that, you know, they were getting JMU instead of a Michigan team in Megan Bobie and that they had already lost to. I'm sure they they have their attention. JMU has caught their attention, given the fact that JMU has beaten Michigan three times or three and one against them this season. But you're right. There's no number next to JMU's game, next to JMU's name. I feel like there's got to be some confidence for UCLA, and there's a chance that they do overlook the Dukes a little bit, just thinking ahead to the Women's College World Series. And to me, it reminds me a little bit of like JMU football this season, where JMU football was a top five team for most of the season. They end up losing to Elon. They get in the playoffs. They have a chance to go play North Dakota State if they beat Colgate on the road, a Colgate team that isn't known for its athleticism or strength or anything like that they're just well coached and and JMU struggled in that game and I don't know how focused they were they obviously had some coaching stuff going on as well but you've seen it with JMU football and sort of juggernauts all over the place that overlook teams and end up losing because they aren't completely focused and I think JMU and Megan Good might be able to sneak up on UCLA a little bit potentially get that first game and and catch the Bruins off guard just because they don't have a number next to their name they're unseated they're a team that, you know, I don't know if UCLA has really seen them much over the last few years. They don't probably don't know a ton about that program. So I think that's a, a big benefit for JMU is the fact that, you know, they are unseated and they are sort of an underrated team that most people don't know about. They might be able to catch UCLA sleeping a little bit. So that's one potential positive for JMU. One of the things I think that they might have an issue with is stopping Bubba Nichols, who's been unbelievable. You mentioned her a little earlier and how she has maybe the greatest name in college softball. Bubba <laughs> Nichols is pretty impressive. She had 11 RBIs in their regional, which I saw a stat on ESPN that that was more than 31 of the 64 teams that played in regionals. That's amazing. So pretty insane there. Um, I'm assuming that, that, you know, neither of us have really seen her play. Um, so I won't go too much into sort of her game and her style and all that. But one thing that stands out is that UCLA uses her as the leadoff hitter. And she, I believe, leads that team in home runs and RBIs, which is, is yep. definitely interesting. Do you think, what do you think of that strategy of using maybe your best power hitter as the leadoff hitter? Uh, I've seen it a few times uh, at the major league level. And I, I think the idea is, um, you know, she gets on base a lot, 471 yeah. clip. 
that's that's the third highest on the team uh, among their qualified players. And you know, if you get a solo home run, sure, it might have been nice to have you know a player or two on base. It's certainly more runs you'll take it, but you you want to get your best hitter hitting as much as possible. And I think that's kind of the the mantra there. And, and with UCLA's offense, I mean, it's it's pretty deep all the way down. They're de- I, I don't know what they're how they exactly they configure their lineup, mm-hmm. but I'm going to go ahead and guess that so they put a pretty solid hitter in that number nine spot. Yeah, uh, somebody to help turn that lineup over. Uh, and you know that's somebody who's probably getting driven in a lot, uh, which makes that a very important role. Uh, you know, in that UCLA lineup. So you know, JMU is not going to do anything like that because it just has so much power. Um, you know, with you want to stack all those power hitters right in a row. Uh, and just let, you know, if, if one or two of the, the, the faster slash on base type players get on ahead of them, then you have a good chance of, you know, one of those three, uh, you know, power hitters, four power hitters that are on the team, uh, driving them in. Whereas with UCLA, you know, not that they're not, don't have a ton of power, but you know, there's only one player with a slugging percentage above 700, uh, which obviously is a high bar, but you know, when we're talking about the best teams in college softball, there's a couple of players who are at that level. And, uh, you know, that's, a, it's a team that's, it's going to have going to manufacture runs a little bit more. Um, and if the bottom half of your order can be effective, then, you know, why not try to get your, your best player hitting as much as possible, uh, while still offering a chance to get some runners in front of them. Yeah. That's a really good point. So at the bottom of the lineup, they, from what I was reading today, they go with Kelly Godden and she's a freshman utility player. She played high school at modern day, yeah. which is just an insane high school for all sports. Uh, and she leads leads the team in batting average. Yep. So she's apparently unbelievably fast. Rarely hits the ball into the outfield, but she just sort of gets it in play, and then beats out mm-hmm. ground balls to first base, things like that. She has. I was looking through her stats. She has 13 RBIs on the season. Um, she has one in the entire month of May. So she's not somebody that's going to drive in runs or do anything like that. But she scored 40 runs on the year. She gets on base. She does a lot of different things. I think she either leads the team or is second on the. team there so she leads it yeah yeah. so i mean they've got just a really interesting lineup and i'm excited to see the the sort of different styles because i think they're trying to get rallies against megan good which megan did allow some runners on base against michigan and was able to to really limit them once they got runners on but ucla is trying to put rallies together they're trying to get people on score runs with a bunch of hits where jmu they're okay hitting three solo home runs and you know no hits the rest of the game they'd be okay if that's what they do, they get three runs and win three to two or whatever. So it's a really interesting contrast in styles. And I think it's going to be important for JMU to field very well, because I think there's going to be a lot of pressure put on the defense and probably road cap as well behind the plate, potentially throwing out runners at second. They're trying to steal Um, during this game. I think that UCLA is going to be very aggressive on the bases. So going to be interesting to watch in that regard. And that, that does make sense, What like you're saying, where if they have somebody at the bottom of the lineup, that sort of makes sense to have Nichols at one because she won't obviously be leading off every inning aside from the first. Yeah, uh, you know, it's, it's very different from the way JMU produces runs. I mean, mm-hmm. I was just doing a quick scroll through the, the uh, JMU um, schedule, and it looks like all season – they only allowed over three runs. Don't quote me on this number, but it's something around that 12 times. So mm-hmm. 12 times out of the 59 games Jamie's played. So like you said, the three solo home runs, more often than not, that's going to get the job done. And yes, UCLA is a top-tier offense, but uh, you know Jamie has a top-tier pitching staff, and it believes in it. 
Um, so this, this, the way the, uh, this lineup is constructed, it's either going to score in bunches or it's going to score very spread out. There's really no in between. Um, so yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to watch. I'm, I'm really excited to see these two teams go head to head. JMU being the only non power five team, uh, to make it to a super regional this year. Um, pretty exciting stuff. And, and Cal is as big a test as you're going to get, uh, you know, outside of Oklahoma in this entire field. Yeah. I mean, this is going to be a really really tough matchup but exciting one to watch obviously it's being played in los angeles which is the home regional for ucla what do you think about the home field advantage do you think that's a huge thing here do you think it's not a huge factor obviously it's in los angeles i was looking at the weather it's supposed to be 72 and sunny so i don't think weather's gonna be a factor but what do you think about jamie playing on the road again well uh, i'd say jamie you probably got used to it uh in michigan having to be you know there for however many days they had to stay, including the extra day when they thought they were going to play in the rain, you know, pushed it off. I don't know what the temperatures were like up there. I'm assuming it wasn't super cold. I mean, it's it's late May now. I'm I'm guessing it wasn't too bad, but uh, you know, they're, they're now going to California, which it's hard to complain about having to stay in California, never mind Los Angeles uh, for the better part of a week. So can't imagine that it's going to be too much of an effect, a negative effect for JMU more, maybe a positive one for UCLA getting its home fans. I'm not sure how big softball is on the West coast. Um, but uh, assuming there aren't a whole lot of, you know, other programs competing for attention right now in UCLA athletics, they're probably going to get a decent amount of fans out there. So uh, it's going to be a factor, but you know, I don't think JMU is, is necessarily going to be rattled by being on the road or uh, having to travel so much. Right. Yeah. And I think taking that West coast trip or two, which Jamie tends to do early in the season to get out of Harrisonburg and then in the North or mid Atlantic or whatever, during um, like February, when the season starts, that'll definitely pay dividends at this point in the year. So yeah, kind of like you said, I don't think it's too scary playing on the road, but the weather's nice. I think every, every team is just going to have a good opportunity, you know, to execute what they're doing and, in advance moving forward, it's going to really be about how you play and not necessarily where you're playing. So for you, what's the biggest key to this series? Uh, I would say string hits together uh, for JMU. Like we talked about before, it's just going to be, this is a tough fishing staff to get to. And, you know, I, I think that if you get a, a runner in scoring position early on, you better drive them in uh, because you're not going to get a whole lot of chances to do that again. So, you know, look to jump on, UCLA early uh, and, you know, see how far Megan can take you. This is a deep pitching staff. If JMU needs to go to another pitcher, it can. But, you know, this – we saw what Megan could do when she really went to the next level. Uh, and it's it's really going to be down to that again is, you know, just what kind of Megan good are we going to get? Is she going to just continue this incredible run we've seen? I mean, I don't think it's sustainable. But at the same time, you know, Megan has defied all odds so far. So I'm not going to doubt her uh, by any means. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of agree with that, where it's about getting hits together and then leaning on Megan Good. So for me, it's it's just little things like that. I think it's fielding, making sure that you don't make mistakes in the field. And that 12-inning marathon, I was stunned that Michigan didn't score before the 12th inning just because, Jamie, you made so many sort of sloppy errors where they would, like, drop a foul ball that could have ended an inning or maybe they would make a mistake on a throw or just or not be as crisp as they could in the field. And then they came out Monday, and they were awesome. Hannah File was great at mm-hmm. third base. Sarah Jubas was solid at shortstop. Just all around, they are really good in the field. Road cap looked pretty good behind the plate. So for me, I think that's that's the key is just play good defense, try to get some hits, and realize that you know the home run strategy 
strategy can work to a certain extent, but you're also going to need to get some base hits and manufacture runs and hit some bunts and things like that. So that's going to be another focus that I think is important for JMU the rest of the way. Um, but yeah, like you said, just leaning on Megan Good, getting some hits, things like that. So we'll wrap things up quickly here with the prediction. Who do you have winning it? Oh, oh that's tough, man. Uh, I want to pick JMU, but I mean, it's pretty tough to pick against the number two team in the country. But you know what? This is a podcast. We give hot takes. I'm picking JMU. Uh, you know, with, with what we saw to Megan Good out of that first round, you know, uh, if she can continue to do that, I have no doubt in my mind JMU is going to put up as tough a fight as anybody in this field. So I'm going JMU against my gut. Um, but, you know, this is my heart telling me this is it's, it's the year. Yeah, I did the same thing. I wrote a preview for JMU Sports News, and I said that JMU would win in three games. I went back and forth on who I thought would win like 50 times, so I just eventually went with <laughs> the JMU in three. But I think it's such a toss-up because it's just two pitchers who are among the like three best players in the entire country. So there's no real way to know like who's going to give up the occasional home run here. They're both capable of making a mistake or two, but they're also both capable of throwing shutouts. So I think it's going to be a really fascinating pitcher's duel for two or three days. I, My gut says it will go three days. I think both teams are good enough to win at least one in this series so that it won't be a sweep for either team. But I'll say JMU in three. And uh, yeah, so I guess we both got the Dukes winning. We have baseball ending their season early, and there's going to be beer at Bridgeforth. So even if the season <laughs> ends for JMU softball. There's a consolation prize. Yes, there will be beer at Bridgeforth. So something to look forward to for JMU fans. So Matt, thank you for joining us for the second consecutive consecutive week. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. Love to talk some JMU softball. So hopefully we'll be back again next week talking about uh, the College World Series. That would be fantastic. Yep. So for Ben Conlon and Matt Wyrick, that is it for this edition of the JMU Sports News Podcast. Have a good night, everyone. For listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B L E A V on YouTube.